Good morning. Today's reading is Ephesians 4, verses 7 through 14. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostle, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of, faith, of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. This is the word of the Lord. Please, please be seated. All right. Thank you, Dee. Um, I believe that's the longest section we've had in Ephesians thus far. Um, if you've come and uh, been new while we've been walking through Ephesians, you should have been here for some of the other ones where we were covering like three chapters at a time. But um, yeah, thank you, Dee. Dee actually just got back from Thailand. Is it all right to give a little shout out? I don't even know where Dee went, but is that okay? Jim, you get, Dee will probably shake her head. Dee um, owns a r r restaurant and is the uh, head chef at a restaurant here in downtown um, Tucson called Sine Thai, and, um, and it's uh, incredible, and she just got honored by the Thai government. Um, one, yeah, and uh, was a very select group, and... I say that not just to kind of throw in a plug and not just so I'll, I'll get extra appetizers next time I go there, but, um, but honestly, like we talk a lot here about, you know, creational good and, and how God uh, reflects his glory in all of his image bearers and how we're called to every good in ever, every work that we put our, our, uh, our, our heads down and our hands into is, uh, is, is meant by God to reflect him and to glorify him and to bless our neighbor. And uh, Dee's work is an incredible example of that. And um, sorry, Tina, if I just stole a all of life interview you're going to do soon. But um, also, how about the worship team there? I uh, want to get in that. Man, I didn't know. Yeah, it was just amazing. I wanted to keep on singing. Um, and we will. Uh, that was like Johnny Cash was back. <laughs> it was really fun. And um, so uh, my name's Dave. I forgot to introduce myself. Just dove right into the conversation. Um, so yeah, my name's Dave. I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Tucson. And uh, just a heads up, if you're new or you've never heard me preach before, I have a speech impediment. And so I want to give you a heads up on that and make sure you know kind of you know what that is. And, um, and as, as we go, it'll, it'll come in and out. And um, we're going to get into our time pretty quickly in Ephesians 4. And, um, but, but first, I just want to say something. Um, I don't know where you're at coming into this morning. Like, I'm just candidly in a very different place like than I was five or six minutes ago. Just beginning with that time in worship together and prayer, seeing friends, and, um, and I don't know where you're coming from. And, and this is definitely not a place where you need to slap on a smile or pretend things are good. Like I just told people this morning, like, uh, you know, I'm not doing so great or having kind of a hard, a hard time right now. And, um, 
And you think it's weird for you to say that when the, when the pastor says it, people are like, I don't know what to say right now. And no, thankfully our church is such that people were encouraging and just, you know, there. And, uh, and so anyway, that's where we are. And all the more I'm really excited for us to get into the word because as we've already begun to experience through our time of corporate worship together, as God uh, enters in and transforms us and does a work in us individually and as a community. And so um, that's what, what I'm excited to see him do. So, um, with that, go ahead and turn with me to Ephesians 4. If you have a Bible with you, if you don't have a Bible, would you hold your hand up high and keep it up? Okay, I want to make sure somebody would get you one. And uh, if you don't own a Bible, please keep this. It's our gift to you. In español, si quiere la Biblia y no tiene, por favor, levante su mano y diga español. Y si no tiene una Biblia, eso es un regalo a usted. Y esta mañana es Estamos en Efesios capítulo 4. Um, and yeah, we'll be in verses 7 through 14. And uh, as we turn there and get going, let me go ahead and pray for us together. Again, Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning together. Thank you that you know what we need. And um, even as we looked at a couple weeks ago, it's often not what we would design. That you are doing and can do and will do far more than we could ever ask or even imagine. And, and often that includes us being in circumstances that we would never craft for ourselves to be in. And so uh, I don't know where everyone is, but, but I trust that wherever we're coming this morning, that you are at work. And, and I pray and trust that through your spirit, you would lead us as your people to, to, to live uh, who you've called us to be in response to your good news, the good news of Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen. So there was an interview um, this, this week that I heard on a r r radio station, and um, it was with, a, with an author named uh, John McManus, and he wrote a book called The Dead and Those About to Die. And it's a book about D-Day, and you know, because Memorial Day was just earlier um, at the beginning of last week, and, and, I, and so they were interviewing this man on that subject. And that's one of my, personally, one of my favorite subjects to kind of read about and, and learn and, and things. And, and, and as he was talking, he's writing this, not about what probably most of us think of with the, with the storming of, of, of Omaha Beach that we see on Saving Private Ryan and things like that, and a lot of things that had been written. This was about the Eastern section, the Eastern assault, if you will. And um, it was this group called the First Division, whose nickname was the Red One. And they had seen a lot of success, and they stormed this. Basically, they enabled what we all know about and see usually to happen, and, and their stories usually kind of un, untold, because they basically attacked the uh, attackers, if you will. Like, they went after the main place where a lot of the, the defense was coming from. And, and, and so as I read it, and as he, or as he talked, and I actually am getting the book, can't wait to read it, and, and read all about it, some other things came up. He talked about the Medal of Honor that was given to a number of people, three people, and two of them it was given posthumously. Is that how you say that? I'm always wondering. Posthumously, and um, you know they had they had passed away. They didn't survive the war, and then one one person did, and they had these incredible feats. But as he went on and talked more, what really captivated me was was his recognition of how many, literally hundreds, of other stories 
deserved that kind of recognition and that kind of award and yet went completely unnoticed. Because in order to get that award, you had to be witnessed and someone had to be in the right place, you know, intellectually, whatever. There had to be enough witnesses. There had to be enough people to know the context and what you were doing and how many other people saved other people's lives at their own cost and and gave of themselves and did these things that, that just went completely unnoticed. And yet, if you think about it, those three even that won that honor, that got the Medal of Honor, would not have um, done that, would not have done anything to deserve that had they been looking for it. Had they been thinking, okay, how do I get this Medal of Honor? Okay, I'm going to make sure everyone's looking. And get, right, that's not how war works as far as I know, and that's definitely um, not, that would, you wouldn't survive very long in that context. And, and so what is it? And as, again, this, this, this author in this interview talked about his whole, uh, everything that he had learned and the perspective of people that he had gained, it was that they all knew, some of these people, 18, 19 years old, gave of themselves because they knew they were a part of something greater. In that moment, they weren't thinking of themselves. They had heard a message, they had been told a vision, and it, and it captured them in such a way that in that moment, they were able to not be defined by their current circumstances, to not even talk themselves out of it, but to simply play a part that they were given for a greater cause. And so as we've been walking through Ephesians, what we've seen is that, that is, Jesus has been revealing his glory in such a way that, that, that in some ways maybe shockingly and, and also very, very lovingly, like, like a father putting his hand on a child's chin, has turned our gaze toward him and has revealed who he is. The glory of Jesus, his power and his preeminence over all things, things that are seen and things that are unseen. And then he's been talking about, the author here, Paul, has been talking about how we are his people and what it looks like for his people to live in light of Jesus' glory and how we relate with one another, how we relate with the world around us, and, and, and how we're to function. And then in there, how to, we're to view ourselves. So as we get into our time here together, That theme of oneness, oneness with God, as we just read in Ephesians chapter 2, and then the next few verses in Ephesians chapter 2 get into oneness with each other, and now we continue to look at what that looks like in terms of how we view who we are and what we have in relationship to one another. And so what we'll see as we go is that God, and I have it up here um, as we kind of break it down, but is 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 that God gifts his people to serve one another and to mature together in Christ. So how we'll see that kind of broken down is here is that, is that we have been gifted by grace, we have been gifted to serve, and we've been gifted for maturity. So with that, let's pick up and, uh, and, and see who God has called us to be and how he's called us to function, beginning in verse seven of chapter four. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Verse eight, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. I'll get into verse eight in a moment, but, but, but just so you, we know this stuff, verse eight is actually quoting um, a Psalm, Psalm 68, verse 18. And in that context, 
Okay, this is uh, Jesus, and, and then through Paul's writing here, right, he's been, he's been turning uh, the kingdom upside down, if you will, okay? People thought that relationship with God was always, I bring my gifts to God, I bring my sacrifices. Even today, is that not often how we think? I'm gonna come to church, I'm gonna give God his due, right? I'm gonna, and we kinda can, can, can treat what we have. I'm gonna tithe some money, because hey, you know, I'll, I'll kinda, tip my hat to God, you know, give him something. And that's what Psalm 68 is referring to. It's this image of, of, of God gathering people together who would bring gifts to then give to God. But in this case, you see that, no, the gift giver is God himself. That as people are gathered together in his name, he is now distributing gifts and so what should pop into our mind here is this idea that is really setting the tone for what we're about to read for how we, how we use what we have in order to relate with each other. We, we, we can go back to Philippians chapter two. We often refer back to there, if you remember, or, or if not, this is helpful, is to think of it as a J. We see that there when we see that Jesus in Philippians two, we, we hear that he didn't consider what he had, his rights and privileges, as something to be grasped or to be held onto, but he gave those up for his people. And, and, and he, he left his place on high and he, and he entered into our brokenness and he gave of himself. And then from there, he ascended, he raised from the dead. And so we look at the cross and we see that the, it is not just now we don't get into place. Oh, now we talk about spiritual gifts. Now we get to talk about what's all about us and, and how God says, here, use this gift and now go take it. It's your little pet gift and you just do with it as you want and you just hold on to it and say, I'm gonna do whatever I will. Like I have the gift of of teaching. Therefore, I'm the only one. This is, you can pry this pulpit from my cold dead, you know, fingers and you can, you know, this kind of perspective we get with these things. And it's so unbiblical because we look at always, always starts with Jesus that because Jesus gave himself up and then died in our place and then rose from the dead, that he is the giver of life and the distributor of gifts. And he does that by his grace. He doesn't look and say, that person really looks fit. I'm gonna sprinkle a little more on them because they, 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 they came to the table. They entered into this relationship with a lot of good things, so I'm gonna kind of keep it going. That's not how it works. According to the measure of his grace. Whose grace? His grace. He is given these things according to the measure of Christ's gift is he distributes. And now before we get into that, we understand, well, why would he do that? He's gifted us by grace. He's gifted us to serve. I do want to say something about verse eight um, before we, we move on there, right? It says, or I'm sorry, verse, uh, verse nine. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. So I know there's, um, there's often some confusion about this because there's a lot of, of us tend to think that this is, oh, this is the time when Jesus went into hell and snatched the key away from Satan and this type of deal. And um, we don't see that in scripture, that that's what Jesus did. There's, uh, and after he died on the cross and before he rose from the dead, we don't know what he did. But I can tell you what we do know is that we, this is not talking about hell. Again, this is the picture that we need to have in our mind. This is talking about his incarnation, all right? When Jesus took on flesh, 
Okay, that word incarnation is like, you know, the Spanish con carne, took on meat, right? This is, this is God with meat on. This is Jesus putting on flesh and entering into our broken, sinful humanity. So it talks about he descended, again, even to the point of death. Okay, again, picture with me a J, right? He descended into death. Author and um, helpful person, Paul Miller, who writes a lot about prayer. I don't think he's a pastor anymore. I think he once was, but anyway. Um, he has written a lot about this, and it's really good and, and very helpful. And um, anyway, so he talks about that, right? He descended, and that's, that's the shape of the Christian life. And so we see that we're able to do that. So again, this is not talking about, oh, so this is when Jesus goes to hell and snatches that key away. And I'm sure there's some children's song um, incorrectly depicting that. But that's, uh, that's, that's not what this time. Okay, this is Jesus descending, entering into our world, taking on flesh, dying on the cross, and then ascending right far above all things. When Jesus, um, after he had risen from the dead, he revealed himself to more than 500, right, to his people. This is in Acts. And then he ascended to the right hand of God the Father. And that's where he is right now on the throne, ruling and reigning over all things until he promises to return. Amen? That's where Jesus is. He has gifted us by his grace. But why would he do that? He's gifted us to serve. Pick up with me in verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So Jesus has given these gifts. Why would he do it? Why did he do it? So for, let me say a few things here. This is not an exhaustive list, all right? So if you're wondering, if you're looking at this and like, okay, those are the spiritual gifts. And if you're, um, like I grew up in a more Pentecostal charismatic church when I was younger, and man, we talked about the gifts all the time. There's a ton of stuff I now know that it was never talked about that I didn't know about, but those, that was hammered on. And then maybe you grew up in on the other side of the pendulum, if you will, and you like are like, spiritual gifts, what's that even talking about? We kind of stay away with this Holy Spirit. We don't really mention him because it's kind of, you know, you people get crazy and start breakdancing in the front if we even mention the Holy Spirit. So we're not going to do that right now. And so we hopefully say, well, we're going to stand on God's word and not like we've got it all figured out or just right, but, but we do want to press in and say, okay, he's talking about the Holy Spirit here and he's talking about gifts. What, what are these? Again, I'll say, this is not an exhaustive list of like, these are the spiritual gifts. If you got one of these, good for you. If not, man, sorry. Like you're, you know, you know, sorry about that. Like hope for something better. You have the gift of helps or hospitality. Okay, that's it. You can make brownies and um, open your home. There it is. And help people move, right? Um, better go buy a truck right now because that's like, that's sometimes how we treat it. And then it's like, oh, well, up here, these are like, hey, you know, God's grace, but sorry, like I got one of the good ones. And um, that's sometimes how we treat it. And it's so broken. And we are swimming in these waters, these polluted waters of a celebrity pastor culture, which we don't have here locally, but a lot of us participate in online and in podcasts and different things like that. And, um, and we've got to fight it fiercely. What we probably do have more of here and in and I, not to like shame, like we're getting it terribly. It's, it's in a lot of places, but what we do tend to have is like a, um, 
a dysfunctional codependent relationship. Wow, y'all just got really blurry. Put my glasses back on. I didn't realize I couldn't see that badly. So is a dysfunctional codependent relationship where um, we're up here, pastors, worship leaders, elders, you know, the big titles, you know, and there's this sense of like, I need to feel really good about myself. I need to feel like I'm needed, right? I, I need you to need me. I want you to want me. And we kind of are up here, <laughs> as a wise person once said. And, and then, as, and, and it's not only one way, then on the flip side, sometimes in the congregation, there can be this posture that's like, I'm cool with you doing that. Because now we get to kind of pay like someone to kind of do the, 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 the d dirty work. Like, hey, this um, person just came in who's kind of awkward. Maybe they're homeless or they, they have a need right now. Oh, let's, we can go talk to the professionals to do that because they do that and we, we pay them so they don't have to do this kind of thing. And then we're like, yeah, that kind of stinks. I don't like doing that, but... I sure love the honor and the kind of little platform that's been built up for me, so I guess I'll do that kind of work. And we just, we're walking around on our heads, looking at things completely distorted, completely upside down from the way God has designed them to be. Right, he says here that the work of the quote-unquote professionals is not to be the know-it-alls, is not to be the ones who get all the praise and honor in fact, there's a phrase, the, the largest redemption congregation, Redemption Gilbert, their lead pastor used to be their facilities guy and clean the bathrooms. And um, he is an incredible, godly, humble man. And he constantly talks about fight for obscurity. As a young man coming into this ministry, his name's Tim Mon, and I got to meet with him. That was the biggest, biggest message that he hammered home to me, fight for obscurity. And, uh, and so we, we, like, what does it look like for us to live life that way? To, again, we need to fight against that because we'll all, again, this is kind of confession time too, like, we'll all slide into it. It feels good to feel like I'm kind of set apart. And then it, it feels good too to be in that seat and be like, oh, hey, you know, they're, I'm not a missionary. I'm not a, like, there's, you know, only a few. We have some missionaries here too. And, and, uh, and we, you know, they don't, I don't have to, even pray about what God's calling me to do or where he might be calling me to go or what kind of cultures he might be calling me to enter into and to learn from and to live among because, you know, I, I tithe. I'm, I'm an engineer. I don't do that. So I always kind of pick on engineers. I think it's because I'm intimidated and insecure. So you guys are really smart and are gifted in all the things I'm really not. And so, but there's this, right, we tend to have this perspective and that's clearly not what we're hearing here in God's word. Again, that's the culture we're living in, but that's not in line with the word of God that we're reading. Okay, he's called us to, to, to equip uh, the saints, one another, for the work of the ministry. Now, before we, we keep on moving on, I want to go back to the end of verse, um, see, this is an inconvenient page break here for me because I'm... Um, it's not as easy. So back where, um, men, where is that? Verse 11, is it end of verse 11? Or, okay, I have my notes here. I'm being kind of uh, proud and not even looking at them. So it's in here. Yeah, so, so to, to, to equip men, or he's given these gifts to certain men. 
Okay, and that's important for us to, to see and to press into there because there's, a, there's a, a, a question that comes up and even a posture that, again, the church has tended to take on that's like, okay, these, and again, we treat it wrongly. We, we, we don't do the homework here and see what's talking about. And we see words like apostle and, and teacher. And then we see there, there it is. It's because it was indented. Um, it's actually verse eight. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, you know, he gave gifts to men. Well, the Greek word here used, so again, that's referring to the Hebrew back in, back in Psalm 68, but now the language that's being used, there's even translation then, okay, that Paul is using as he's, as he's, he intentionally uses a Greek word that very clearly is men and women in this case. And, and, and again, this isn't an exhaustive list. And now hear me on this, and I'm not going to rehash all this and kind of re-preach on this, but there's a difference between gifts that have been distributed, okay, really generously and diversely, and offices that, that God has set up for how his church is to be led. So these things, apostle, for instance, with a, a capital A, we strongly push back on that, say there's no apostles today, like some churches, the Church of Latter-day Saints would say that, you know, there are apostles ongoing. We believe that the scriptures clearly teach that you had to have seen Jesus physically raised from the dead and been commissioned and sent from him to be an apostle apostle and that that is no longer done that Paul and even talks about he was uh, the, the the last one born as one who was who was untimely born okay but a lowercase a is the same word same idea of sent one and so we believe this is this is similar to like a cross-cultural ministry again the wisely crew taking up most of a whole row right there and and um you know there's Scotty and Heidi are here from, from overseas and have been giving uh, generously of their time and their lives and pouring out. And so that's this idea, this kind of apostolic gifting and, um, and beginning new things. And, and so you see that here, but then these other things of teacher. And that's this, this idea of ongoing. That's not preaching. That's not from the pulpit. That's not under the oversight of the elders. This is, this is talking about people who, who are clearly gifted with, with teaching, whether formally or informally. A whole list of people pop into mind of um, well, Jim Pfizer and uh, David Palazuelos coaching and a lot of cross-cultural conversations we've had and Tracy Paulson and, 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 uh, and my wife and just a number of people that are, and I'm sure I'm leaving out tons and tons of people who are, I'm seeing more, I can't just go on a whole list here, right? People who are gifted in teaching and this isn't a formal office, this doesn't mean this is your career, this doesn't mean these things, but it's also uh, how do I use what I have been given to equip others? To, to pour into others, to bless others. Okay, let, let's pause for a moment. Let me ask here, what would it look like if whatever God has given you was used for the good of others, was used to bless others, was used to equip others for the work of the ministry that God is calling them into? Like, God is establishing unity, right? We've been talking about that. He didn't stop talking about that a couple of weeks ago. He's, he's calling one people, one church together, and he's done this. He's establishing a unified people by diversely distributing gifts. Okay, so that you have a gift set that someone over here desperately needs. 
and, and that she over here has been gifted with something that he needs. And it's, again, you see where if this is this whole celebrity or this whole professional and, um, I don't know, consumer relationship, that all falls apart. And, and just be, let's be honest, that's a, that's a pretty unattractive view of the church, right? It's like, okay, I guess I go, I get... But man, no, it's so much better than that, so much richer than that, where God says, I want to form my people together so that this person who desperately needs these things has to be in relationship with this person and in proximity with these people who he or she can learn from. And that same person has incredible gifts that they can then share and give. And, and, and again, hear me on this. Look, at, this is clearly cross every line, age, gender, socioeconomics, race, cultural background. There are different gifts, different, different propensities, different postures, different perspectives, and it's all been given. If it's all about me, 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 then we start to draw trenches, right? We start to say, well, man, no, well, we do things this way and we see things this way, or I have this gift. I have the gift of prayer, so I'm not gonna come and say, God, how can I, um, how can I use this to, to bless others, to equip others, but instead, this is kind of my deal right now, so I'm gonna lob grenades at all the non-prayers and constantly be the dripping faucet in staff meetings or whatever, kind or redemption communities or whatever that's kind of propping myself up by my gift and, and shaming everyone else for theirs because maybe there's a little insecurity about where I fall short and um, it's easier to, to go on the offensive rather than to have this humble posture of, God, what have you given me to serve my brother or sister in Christ? And God, what have you given them that I need? Amen. Is that not a beautiful picture of God's people thriving and living together? And yet he doesn't shy away from the fact that it's hard. Okay, and, and he did this. Why did he do this? Why does he give gifts by grace? And then why does he give gifts to serve? Does it end there? No, it's absolutely crucial. Okay, pick up again with me now in verse 13. until we all attain to the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Okay, so there's this, there's this calling there that we're given. It's in order to mature, to grow in Christ, to be Christ-like, right? If you've put your faith in Jesus, you are now one with Christ. He has sent his Holy Spirit to fill you, to indwell you, to empower you, to live as his sent one, as his, as his person in, in this world, to be a light like a city that is on a hill individually and communally. This is who we're called to, to be and how we're called to live. And, and he's done this, why? To continue growing in Christ and in Christ likeness so that more and more you and I begin to look like Jesus. Our posture, how we respond when we're challenged, when we're offended, how we, how we move towards someone else when we need to confront them, how we deal with, well, all of life. Let's just shorten it, right? All of life is all for Jesus. Everything, everything that comes to mind that's in your life to, gr to grow in the fullness of and of the knowledge of the Son of God in mature manhood. And even there then, why? Verse 14, so that we may no longer be children 
tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Because listen, this is talking about foundation laying. Okay, the gifts that we have that God has distributed among his people. Okay, hopefully we, we become clear on it's not just for me, me, me. It's not just to do these things for me. It's, it's, it's also not just to shame other people. It's, it's in order to lay a firm foundation where our feet are firmly planted. And when a hurricane-like wind comes from the east or, or, or a wave comes in from the west and it catches us off guard, we don't just tumble and crumble. And yet when we're living on our own, this is what we're vulnerable to. All right, a church that is not living out these gifts given by God to, to serve one another and to equip and, and, and to uphold one another and to glorify God through that is vulnerable. Is all these, this other language is used there. We're, we're immature. We're the opposite of these things. We're, we're flimsy, right? We're, we're wispy, right? How many of us in here want to be referred to as wispy? right? Oh yeah, have you ever met so-and-so kind of, you know, tall, but a bit wispy like that? Notice I said tall because I'm not about to, not about to turn on my own here, the shortness, but, um, right? Like, but, but think of that, like without these gifts being exercised through God, the Holy Spirit, whom Jesus, who sits on the throne, has sent, we're fragile, wispy, wispy. We're, we're, we're selfish. We're, we're afraid, Right? And yet that's not the church that Christ is building that we've been learning about in Ephesians. It's one that is firmly built on his foundation that he has laid. So let's consider for a moment what kind of, what kind of waves and winds are we vulnerable today? Okay, the ones that he refers to here is mostly referring to what's called asceticism, which is this idea, which does show up in our day, in our context, but it's basically through, through self-effort, okay, think like legalistic or something like that, through self-effort, through, through doing all the right things and saying no to things that I want that would give me pleasure and good by just kind of grinding it out and gritting my teeth, I now have um, greater favor with God and greater access to him. And this is, in this context, what he is specifically hammering on. But, but it's not just only that, right? Some of us maybe fall in that camp, but what else? What other kinds of winds of doctrine and waves that could topple us are we vulnerable to? Individual self-expression, right? Where, where, where sexuality, where power, approval, comfort, experiences, consumerism, individual identity, right? How I view myself and how I want others to view me. These kind of things that if we just give into these things, if, we, if, we're not, if we're not founded on the foundation that Jesus has laid for his people and the gifts through his spirit that he's empowered his people with, we're vulnerable. Okay, as we close right now, let's, let us um, consider for a moment. In fact, I want us to, to pray very pointedly right now. Okay, this is audience participation, all right? We're in this together right now, that we will pray that the Holy Spirit would unleash his power among us. Okay, the gifts that have been laid dormant 
for years, may, again, maybe because of wrong perspective, maybe because you thought that a couple of us that you see up here have been given all of them, we haven't. Okay, because we have this brokenness and maybe whatever it might be, that what would it look like if, if God would set us free to see the gifts that he has endowed us with and then to see them through the lens of, God, thank you for this. It's by your grace. How can I now use this or to, to love and serve others? And then, Lord, from there, how will you use that to lay a firm foundation among us where we don't keep dropping like flies? as the church has been so prone to do in our time. Man, I am, I am fed up with, I'm brokenhearted with the number of people I've, even over the last couple weeks I've run into, I've talked to who are just, and you can begin to see it, eyes kind of glazing over and kind of like, yeah, that, that got me through that foxhole and you know, whatever, that's not really working anymore. Okay, this is not talking about right now Jesus only displaying his glory and his power to the world around us and to the things that are seen and not seen, right? We've seen that, but this right now is talking about us. Okay, God's people and the desperate vulnerability that we are walking in if we continue to function in isolation, if we continue to wrongly view the things God has given us through selfish individualistic lenses. So as we close, even right now, um, I'm going to ask you, and I always do this, I'm going to ask you to hold hands with people next to you. And while I'm praying out loud, you be praying uh, quietly or joining in, however, like I said, I used to be in a Pentecostal church. I'm, I'm, I'm cool with this. But let's pray that God would release among his people his power, the power of his spirit, for his glory, for the good of our neighbor, the, the, the person or people whose hands you're holding, and for our joy. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would continue to release among us the power of your Holy Spirit whom you have sent. Lord God, that same spirit that if there's anyone in this room who has never put their faith in you, that same Holy Spirit is now opening eyes and softening hearts and, and drawing to yourself in faith. Lord, I pray that that's even happening, Lord, that you would reveal your good news through your people in such a way that there are those here today who want to put their faith in you for the first time. And Lord, for others that have maybe those of us who have turned our minds off or thought you leave your spirit there or maybe he's just number three and kind of tags along. No, Lord, that we would instead see that, that, that Lord, you have, you have sent him to fill us and to empower us and to gift us, Lord, for one another's good. So right now I pray for each individual who's holding hands with another person, a brother and a sister in Christ. Lord, that there would be a, a, a sense of empowerment of your gifts, and Lord, that we would all be convicted and, and, and empowered and encouraged to use what you have given us. God, to bless, to love, to serve each other, to equip your people for the work of the ministry that you've called us to. In Jesus' name, amen.